Over the years, I have made a habit of, um, of collecting uh, amusing signs. Uh, I don't actually have physical copies. Well, I've got a few in my office. I've got a few amusing signs. Um, but um, I write down the text of these interesting signs, and I just sort of keep a running list of them. And I want to share just a couple of them with you. I love the one seen at a furniture store that reads like this. For sale, antique desk suitable for lady with thick legs and large drawers. <laughs> and I can just picture that gal, right? Or, or there's this one on the door of an, impar- of an apartment building that reads, dog for sale, eats anything, and is fond of children. <laughs> yeah. Or my very favorite one, Lost, small poodle, shaved and neutered, like one of the family. (laughs) Signs are are really an important part of life. Uh, And not just the descriptive ones, like the ones I've just read, but the directive ones. These are very important parts of life. Uh, For every single sign that we've read that forced us to creep along because we were watching for those slow children at play. You know, I've always pictured the kids. You know, slow, slow kids. Uh, we've been grateful for, for even more explicit directional signs that said stop or, or yield or wrong way because we knew that had we not had those particular indicators, we might easily have gotten ourselves uh, into some kind of disastrous consequences. And I think that is why when the Bible calls us to, to make note of the signs of the times, most of us uh, perk up. I mean, we're interested in a lot of what Jesus says, but when he starts talking about the signs of the times, people often tune in with an attentiveness that, that is not accorded to normal things that Jesus says. We are, most of us, I think, instinctively interested in knowing how to read what's going on in our times so we can better prepare for the future. Uh, So um, if there are indicators that can be found of a coming crash in our marketplace, uh, we're we're sort of interested. We're we're clicking through the stations and somebody says, here's what to watch for. Uh, Very often we'll linger at that station. If If there's information to be had on signs of a storm on the horizon... This is why the weather is, is constantly, all day long, it's, it's fed to us. We want to know about those signs of, of the coming storm. If there is, are indicators to be noticed for a crisis in our health. I'll never forget having the, ch- the chest pains that I did one particular night. And then the first thing I did after I got home, I laid down and I pulled out the iPad and I started Googling the signs of a heart attack. Is this a heart attack I'm actually having or something uh, lesser. We want to know about the signs so that we can adjust ourselves, right? To, to, to change ourselves, to adapt ourselves to what's coming. Am I right about this? How many of you would agree this is something you get curious about? Okay. How much more then should we be interested in reading the signs of the end of all things? Of the absolute final culmination of history, of the ultimate turning of the universe towards its next era. If it was possible to know that you and I were living in the last days of history, in the end times of the planet, close to the time when Jesus was planning to come again into the world physically 
and readjust everything, you would be interested in knowing about those signs, I suspect. Um, You'd want to make sure that your relationship with God was solid. You'd want to make certain that you were engaged in the things that he wanted your life to be about. You would want to make sure you were sharing your faith and the hope that you have uh, with those who are outside the, the circle of, of belief. You'd want to make sure you're doing what you're meant to do in the time you have left. How many of you would agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I for sure would be very interested in, in, in that. And that is why I think our lectionary readings for today are, are actually helpful. As difficult as they are, as kind of confusing as they are, they're pretty helpful to us as well. Uh, and so I want to think about what we learn about the signs of our times uh, in the scripture lessons for uh, this week. But when I say signs, I don't want you to just think of uh, placards on poles planted in the ground that you drive by. You know, notice once and then sort of move on with your life. I'd much rather have you think of these signs as, as themes and messages that travel with you. Think of them almost like the bumper stickers we put on our cars or the, or the college stickers or the other uh, cause stickers that people paste on, uh, on their vehicles that they take with them, that keep reminding them of certain connections in, in their lives. Uh, in fact, I would suggest to you that, that um, these particular signs we'll talk about are, are big themes and messages that have traveled with the with followers of Jesus all throughout history, okay? Which is why I suppose many believers have seen these themes showing up uh, century after century in the human experience. Um, so I want to talk with you today about some, some big signs by which we may interpret the particular signs of, of our times. And, and I ask you not just to to have these big signs on the back bumper, actually peel them off with me. I'm going to ask you to paste them right onto the windshield of your consciousness so that they go with you everywhere and they help you interpret and respond appropriately uh, to the life um, that you've got around you. Now, the first sign that I think we need on our windshield is the one that reads like this. Evil happens. Evil happens. And I want to encourage you to take that off the bumper of your brain and put that right up on the windshield of your consciousness. Put it down low so you can see it, you notice it, but it doesn't obstruct your view. It doesn't become your major preoccupation. Uh, Evil happens. Now, it's not a fashionable thing to focus a lot on this idea in our day. Um, uh, But the Bible uh, very plainly asserts that there is not just a benign, bad things happen, but an active, intelligent evil that is at work in the world. Uh, the Bible in, in both Old and New Testaments, uh, in both the Gospels and the letters that we read in the New Testament portion, assert the reality of an intelligent, oppressive evil that is at work in the world trying to tear down the good creations of God, the creatures and the creation of God. Sometimes that evil gets described in very poetic terms. You know, it gets described as a, like a serpent or like a dragon or like an um, antichrist or a beast. I mean, you'll find in the various prophetic books of the Bible all kinds of 
colorful images of the evil. But the big idea, the one that is really constant between all those images, is that there is this very cruel, very crafty, very persevering uh, intelligence and power that is warring against the creation and the creatures that God loves and has been since time immemorial. Um, Not everything difficult that you run into can be explained in terms of that evil, but that evil is at work in more ways than maybe you uh, can see. As consistent as that struggle between good and evil is across history, there will come a day, the Bible teaches, when things really ramp up. There will come a time when this insidious evil is going to lash out at the kingdom of God and at the creatures of God with a ferocious intensity that is really hard to describe. A final fury. It's the death throes of evil, in a sense, trying to to wreak its last bit of havoc. And the Old Testament book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7 in particular, and the book of Revelation, a great deal of that particular book, And the teachings of Jesus that get recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke 21, the text that we're looking at for this week, um, these are the parts of the Bible that really are most descriptive about the way this this evil works. And and so the question arises, how do we recognize it? Uh, How do we recognize evil happening? How do we know that, that such a time, this last time, has actually come? Well, the Bible suggests that there are basically five trends to look for, five major trends to look for. And I want to just touch briefly on those smaller signs, if I may, uh, uh, grouping them all under this idea of evil happening. First, expect the rise of false authorities, the Bible says. In the last days, expect there to come up very, very powerful, charismatic, influential, false authorities. In our reading from Luke's Gospel, Jesus puts it this way. Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he. I'm your salvation. I'm your hope. Uh, And the time is near. You have to respond. You've got to come with me. You've got to follow me. These authorities will say, do not follow them, Jesus says. Be very careful. Do not follow these false authorities. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus himself says that in the last days of human history, many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. I am your Savior. False messiahs, false prophets will appear, said Jesus, to lead astray, if possible, even the elect servants of God, to get them into the wrong rescue boat, into the one that's actually going away from from hope. Uh, Be very, very careful. This is one of the things evil will do. It will raise up false authorities to lead people astray. Secondly, expect an increase of conflict and chaos in the world. Um, Expect it to get really messy uh, in this world. Sin is going to run rampant in the last days uh, without check. Uh, It's going to set people against one another in unprecedented ways. Evil is going to step up its attempts in this all-out way to destroy people, what God has created, his his creation itself, the physical world. The creation itself is going to start to break down uh, in ways not seen uh, at, at this level of magnitude before. In the words of Jesus in Luke 21, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, 
famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events. Fearful events. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Thirdly, expect a season of terrible tribulation for the followers of Jesus. You know, tribulation is a part of what it means to follow Jesus, period. Uh, you know, whether it's something as small as some of us experience where we're, where we're mocked for, for belief or where people uh, push back against our celebration of our holidays, these are little things, right? These are little things. People in, who have followed Jesus have, have dealt with much, much worse. There are people on the planet right now dealing with vastly greater tribulation and persecution as a result of their faith. Um, you're going to hear, uh, we have, speaking in the sanctuary this morning, a, a missionary partner from, uh, from Egypt who, is, who knows a lot about tribulation f- for following the faith. Um, but, but what's going to come is going to be so much more intense than anything that's going on, and so much more widespread than anything that's going on right now. Jesus said this, They will seize you and persecute you. They will put you in prison, and you will be brought before, before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. As only is prefigured um, in the cases of, of tyrannies like Mao and Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and, and, and Nero... Families are going to get torn apart in this time and, and will be turned against one another, says Jesus. Luke 21, 16. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. And Jesus goes on and adds in Matthew 24, then many will fall away. They won't be able to take this kind of pressure and persecution and tribulation and heat. They'll fall away from the faith. They will betray one another and hate one another. And at that time, there will be great suffering such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. Um, Expect a season of terrible tribulation for the followers of Christ. During this season, we should also expect to see a fourth trend. And that is the tearing down of the holy. The holy things will be torn down. Jesus puts it this way in in our scripture lesson for today, Luke 21. Some of Christ's disciples were remarking about how the temple, and they were standing at the temple with Jesus, how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. The temple was the symbol of the place where one worshipped God, where one rediscovered the things of God, the ways of God, and, and the very structure itself spoke of the majesty and beauty and grandeur of God. And they're remarking about these things. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That seemed impossible to, the, to his followers at that moment. To something so strong, stable, secure as the great temple of Jerusalem could ever be dismantled in, in, in the way Jesus was describing. And what Jesus is saying here is you can expect in the last days to see the great structures God has put in place for the worship of, of himself and the welfare of humanity to be progressively dismantled. Okay, that's the poetic image here. 
you're going to see the holy things progressively torn down. The systems of order and of justice and of virtue and of relationship, which God laid out in the construction of the creation, will be torn down stone after stone. And because it'll only be a stone at a time, maybe nobody will really raise much concern about it. It's just a stone. It's just one little change. But over time, the whole structure for, 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 for love of God and love of others will progressively be torn down. And all of this will lead inexorably to a fifth and final trend, which is the apparent victory of evil. Uh, it will look like evil and chaos are just the no contest winners uh, with, with no chance of things ch- changing. Uh, the, the books of Daniel and Revelation are way more explicit about this than, uh, than the gospel texts are. But Jesus puts it with characteristic brevity. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. The love of God, the appropriate kind of love of self, the love of neighbor, other, will progressively grow cold. It's like that image that C.S. Lewis gives us in his magnificent Chronicles of Narnia, um, in, in which all of the, the loving relationships, all the connections that make life warm and bright are steadily diminished before this onslaught of this wicked winter that, that turns everything to stone, uh, everything cold. Um, so, so that's the image that we're being given here. Now, Aren't you glad you showed up this morning? Wow, aren't you glad? Are you pleased you visited Christ Church today? (laughs) This is rough stuff, right? This is heavy, intense stuff. Uh, What do we make of this? I mean, is is this science fiction? Is this the ranting of religious crazies? Is this some kind of old-fashioned confusion. I mean, what do you make of these images? Because the the trends I'm describing, they're there in the book of Daniel. They're there in the book of Revelation. They're there in the teachings of Jesus in several gospels. They're there. The rise of arrogant false authorities, the increase of conflict and chaos, the the tribulation uh, for the faithful, the tearing down of the holy, the apparent evil, a victory of evil. I mean, these are the, the signs that we're told to look for. What do you think? What do you believe? Are we living today in the end times? Are we living in the last days? If we are, if we are, then it is crucial we recognize there's even more to the story than we've been told so far. Okay? There's more to this story. See, there's a second sign, a big sign, that you need to peel off the bumper of the Bible and, and, and paste up onto the windshield. I want to suggest you put this one up high. Okay? Uh, again, not, in the, not where it's going to block your vision, but up high where you're going to see it every time you, you get into your car, you go out to face the world, it's going to be in your field of, of vision. And, and it's the one, this sign is the one that the t-shirt companies label no fear. The Bible labels fear not. That's the sign we want to have before us. Fear not. I preached an entire sermon on this theme last week. If you can get it online, if you're looking for it, called Fearless. Fear not. 
One of the great themes that unites the prophetic passages of the book of Daniel, book of Revelation, gospels themselves, is there's going to come a day when as bad as things are, as awful and powerful as evil appears to be, as it's happening in so many places, there's going to come a day when it's going to be thunderously obvious to anybody with even half a brain cell what an incredible understatement it was when Jesus said, greater is he that is in you, meaning God in you, greater is God in you than he who is in the world, than evil, Satan, the evil one who's in the world. It's going to become unbelievably obvious at the end of the last days that greater is God than any of the evil that is afflicting and damaging humanity. God will rise up in all of his blazing glory, the Bible teaches, and bring history as we've known it to a brilliant climax and end. And by the glory of his holiness, God is going to hold evil and all of its emissaries completely accountable for their actions. And by the glory of his amazing love, he is going to make right everything that had gone wrong. He's going to redeem all that has been lost. The prophet Malachi puts it like this in one of our other lectionary readings for this week. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant, every evildoer will be stubble and the day that is coming will set them on fire till they're gone, till they go away completely. Not a root or a branch will be left of them. But for you who revere my name, says Jesus, or it says God speaking through Malachi, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Uh, for you, this blazing glory is good news because it's going to come to you with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You, know, you, will, you will go out in hope and in peace. The prophet Daniel says, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. That's what he saw. Evil had apparently uh, taken over everything. And all of a sudden, this stunning, glorious presence comes into the picture on the clouds. He calls it a son of man, this amazing presence of goodness. And it's interesting. What's the title Jesus uh, chooses for himself when he's trying to describe himself coyly? He calls himself the son of man. Jesus is saying to the people of his time, don't be confused by this simple form, by the calluses on the hands of the carpenter. You see, I am blazing glory in your midst. I am the one who can make all things new. Come into your presence. Respond to my open hand, the relationship I'm inviting you into in your time. Uh, Daniel says, at this time, the Son of Man has given authority and glory and sovereign power and all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped Him and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I hope you're getting this. This is the simple, this is the simple progression. Uh, amidst all of the confusing interpretations and details and, and left-behind books and all these stuff, the movies, all the stuff that's out there, these are the simple ideas we want to hold on to. When God stands up to his full fiery height, when he destroys all that he has damaged or that evil has damaged and that evil has disfigured 
of the good that God originally made. When Jesus Christ comes to rule a whole new uh, kind of earth, all that you or anybody you know may have sacrificed in the cause of trying to stay true to his way and to his kingdom, everything for those people will be restored. All the bad will become, as Tolkien says, untrue, as if it never happened. Every tear will be wiped up. Every hope restored. Life will triumph. And that is what the future holds for those who revere him, who will put their trust in him now. Those who put their lives into the hands of the one who holds the future in his hands. Not a hair of your head will perish, says Jesus. Not a hair of your head is going to perish. So stand firm and you will win life. If you need help with this, Evil happens, but fear not. For those who stand with Christ will stand when he stands. Okay? Those are the big ideas. So, let me close this by asking the question one more time. Are we living in the end times? Are we in those times of history ourselves? You know, some people feel that the the ticks of the clock of history are so loud now, you'd have to be deaf not to answer yes. We're living in, in the end times. Uh, other people say, you know, one of the evidences of the genius of this scripture is there's never been a generation that could not see the events of their time in light of these big themes. Uh, and, and this was God's wake-up call for every generation. Uh, some say, you know, maybe we're not. Jesus himself said, about the exact day and hour, no one knows. Uh, in other words, be very wary of people who say that they can tell you the, the, the exact... If they ask you to sell everything you have and go off and get ready for the spaceship to arrive, you know, be careful about that. Be careful about that. About the exact day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The world as we know it might come to an end before you have to go back to work tomorrow. Isn't that good news? It could happen. Or the world might not come to an end until the Cubs win the World Series. I mean, it could be that long. It could really be that long. But alongside of the final victory of Jesus and all who stand with Jesus, there's one more thing of which you can be absolutely certain now. I, I love um, the writings of Robert Fulgham. Any of you know him? He wrote Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, I just love the way this guy writes. And in his book, From Beginning to End, uh, he includes the picture of a photograph that hangs in the wall of his study. And you, and you get to see it in the book. Uh, the, the picture depicts a man sitting in a chair, staring off into space, sitting in the middle of a field. I mean, that's the picture. As you walk into the office, that's what you'd see on the far wall. But if you get closer, if you actually approach the picture and look at the details a little more carefully, other things begin to materialize in the image. You discover that the man in the chair is actually the author himself and that the field is actually a graveyard. And that the place where he is sitting, the spot on which he sits, is already marked 
with a tombstone with Fulgham's name on it and an opening date and a dash and an empty place waiting for the final time to be recorded. And Fulgham says, I had the grave prepared and I had the photo taken simply to remind myself that I'm going someplace and that it is important to use the time between now and then to keep focused in my task. How about you? How focused are you in your task? How much do you value the time? How much are you prioritizing the use of it? Because I think there's one more sign of the times we ought to paste up on the windshield of our minds. And this one, I think, is so important. We ought to plaster it right in the center of the windshield. Even if we have to struggle to look through it and around it, it just needs to be in our view all the time. The words on this sign, you know them really well. You've repeated them. They're the words, carpe diem, seize the day. Seize the day. You see, however you understand the scriptures and the course of history, you can count on this. Your life, my life, it's going to be gone in the twinkling of an eye, in a few ticks of the clock hand of eternity. And so as the Apostle Paul once wrote, let us be careful how we live. Let us be careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Or as Paul urges us in our final lectionary text for today from Second uh, Thessalonians, Th- Thessalonians, let us not be idle. Let's not be slothful, wasteful. That's what idle really means in our discipleship. Let's not be disruptive. Let's not get off track uh, in the Lord's work. Let's never tire of doing what is good, he says. Every single moment, in every single situation, with every single person, in every single day, because of this much, we can be absolutely certain. You can bank on this. These are your end times. And mine. And it matters a lot how we're using them. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we go into the future, we, we thank you for these large messages your word has given us by which we may travel the road ahead. For the sign you have given us in the cross of Christ that evil happens, but only for a fixed season. Or the sign you've given us in the empty tomb to fear not for your will, your world shall indeed triumph in the end. And also we thank you for the sign you've given us in the passing of this hour we have been sitting here together the reminder that you give us that now is the time to speak those words of love or of confession 
Now is the time to make that needed change in our patterns and behaviors. Now is the time to do the good that we have intended to do. Now is the time to share what we cannot keep. Now is the time to reach out to that stranger, to forgive that enemy, to let go of that burden, to ask for your forgiveness, to take your hand, Lord, firmly. Oh God, with the time that we have left, help us to seize the day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. And God's people said,